you can now hear Movie Heaven, Movie Hell on Stitcher. Stitcher is radio on demand. Listen anytime, anywhere. Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discover from 20,000 news, entertainment, and sports shows. You can also create your own custom playlists. Stitcher is available on iOS, Android, Nook, iPad, and in over 4 million car dashboards. It's on demand, it's on the go. No downloading, no syncing, no wasted memory. You can stream your favorite podcasts from Stitcher. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. And please, leave us a review and rating on Stitcher. Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and... And I'm Keith Isles, and we are both independent filmmakers that like to talk about uh, films and related topics. And whenever we can, we try and get special guests on for these podcast specials, and we're very lucky tonight to have one. We do indeed. We've got uh, Jason Finn, who is a uh, storyboard artist who's worked on such films as uh, The Jacket, Unknown, uh your highness uh you're looking at imdb aren't you (laughs) (laughs) how welcome to the show try and juggle it about you know just to make it that you're not going through it in linear order (laughs) oh okay uh let's see uh doomsday (laughs) <laughs> loads of stuff loads of good stuff the seasoning house <laughs> well according to imdb you've also done makeup on da vinci's demons there you go oh, well that was makeup design i didn't actually do any of the application kind of thing ah uh, right <laughs> yeah um that that was um, a, a close collaboration with um paul hyatt who became a friend uh, after uh, doomsday and um, Jackie Fowler, who who is his flatmate, and she does hair and costume and stuff like that. Um, awesome. So yeah, yeah. Sorry. No, that, that's awesome. I mean, it's fair to say you've worked on some pretty impressive stuff. Uh, things that our listeners may have actually heard of, which is great. <laughs> yeah, it, it's quite eclectic. What, I, what I've managed to do, I, I, you know, I've dropped out over the, the last year and a half or so because of an illness in the family. And but um, it's I, I've always I always tried to keep in there and keep on top of things and do things. Um, yeah, I, I, I very organic. Um, I, you know, anybody else with a bit more pro pro efficient than me would probably go chasing after things. But honestly, it's just things that have kind of landed on my lap. Um, that's a habit I really should break out of. Um, I was going to say, bloody hell, it landed on your lap. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, if you gain a little bit of momentum, and it does take time, um, and, and, and I, to anybody that's listened to this podcast, I just say never, ever give up. I mean, I, you know, I was just a bozo that was working on um, my own projects and short films to begin with. Um, a, a good deal of those people in the past haven't went on to other things. But um, a few of them did. They were, and they would recommend me on, and I, I would get other things to do. And you know, eventually, you do get oxygen. You know, it's this is a, a, a winner is just a loser who didn't lie down. 
Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Cool. Well, on that note, why don't we sort of rewind right the way back to the beginning then and sort of tell us how you, where you started and how you sort of got into doing storyboard artist gigs on these on these films and TV shows. That's a long way back, Keith. That really is. <laughs> I, I, I got a concussion in 2006, and I just make the excuse I can't remember that far back. But uh, no, unfortunately, a lot of things I do remember. Um, God, it's, well, let's skip over the, um, the art school past, because um, I, I mentioned in another podcast with um, Stephen Hurst that that was not a good time for me, and it did nothing for me professionally. It was a horrible time. It was a horrible place, and it was horrible people. Um, and just everything improved after that. Um, and you know, it, it was just a case of uh, the, the people that I, I I met and worked with um, after it kind of thing. I did, I worked on my own projects for a while, a lot of animation stuff. Um, ended up working Tarantino esque in a, a independent video store. Um, uh, and eventually, I think the police will catch up with me about that, or some lawyer or something. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I made a few contacts through that as well, and got involved with the comic community. And then uh, I think maybe the breakthrough was there was a, a, a filmmaker, an aspiring filmmaker, that just said, "Hey, do you do storyboards?" And I went, "Yeah." Uh, and he says, "Well, can you do them?" And I said, "Yeah." And, and then I, I figured out what to do after it. I remember. This was about what mid nineties, I'd say, yeah. or something like that. And it was a guy that I knew in um, who worked in a comic shop, uh, who's, which is now long gone. Um, what was his name? Martin Duraz. And I'll just skip to the end and say that he is now working promoting Japanese whiskey around the world, and oh, wow. very well. I have to say, he does it very well. Um, but. Um, Back then, he was an aspiring movie maker, and he did a short film called On Account of Three. Um, and we did the storyboards for that. And yeah, it worked out quite well. Um, I, but he, he had a mind like a grasshopper. That After that, he went to the States, and he wanted to do theater. Um, then he wanted to do feature film. And like I say, I only just caught up with him recently by finding a YouTube video of him standing in a kilt in, I think, Los Angeles, talking about Japanese whiskey and whiskey in general. So the paths that we go down, I mean, it's just, uh, that's just the way things go. But um, that, that was the beginning of a, a proper storyboard portfolio and, you know, concept art as well. And I, I think I got recommended onto other people and other, other projects. And it, 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 God, it takes a while. It really does. Um, I, I did a lot of commercials, music videos as well. Um, this was all up in Glasgow at that time. Hmm. But you, um, but you're doing it, which is which is great. I mean, a lot of a lot of people, you, you know, we we speak to, we hear the opposite side of that story, whereby it's all dandy and rosy at, at college or film school or media school, art school, whatever, and um, <laughs> you know they're doing loads of stuff, and then you, you know that finishes and they go out in the real world, and you, you know it, it diminishes and and they end up giving up. So I mean, at least. <laughs> You know, yours is weighted the right way. <laughs> well, that was, that was where a lot of my initial bitterness came from because it was all these people who you know, went to art school and it was all fine and dandy, like you say. And I went to one, but it was just bloody horrible to the point, you know, in my final year, I just didn't want to get up in the mornings. And right. I didn't. 
And that was what they got me on, my attendance. Um, I, I just, you know, I just didn't want to go in. I didn't want to work. I wasn't inspired. Um, but, you know, it's, I, I check back in on them every five years or so, and the work looks the same, and nobody's graduating from the place. It's, it's just, but I, on a positive note, I've heard that it's going to get demolished soon. So I'm actually going to take a trip <laughs> back up, and I'm going to take a selfie in the rubble. <laughs> um, the downside is they're talking about building another one so um you know it, it's uh, uh it, it's it's just the son of um art school that, that's going to be in the place but yeah um i i i'm i'm keeping up on the, the the social media feeds just to find out if it does actually get torn to the ground um and i'm really looking forward to that <laughs> um but um, it, it, it was an up it was an uphill struggle after it. I, it, it did take a long time um uh, i was doing a lot of menial jobs other times i was unemployed but that was you know in the evenings you just you sat and drew and you, you did other things and um and you made sure that you had things to show people well how did you get the job for the jacket i was working on a short film uh for another yet another short film for another director and i won't say the name and i won't say his name and i'll explain in a minute um this was, it was, um, I was, I wasn't getting paid. I was traveling in myself, but uh, from uh, where I was staying in Kilmarnock into Glasgow. Um, and quite often uh, in the pissing rain, and there was times where he wasn't getting out of his bed. And I would have to wait around for about half an hour while he got ready and, and got to meet me. And the cheeky bastard actually gave me the speech at one point saying, I don't feel you're fully committed to this project. Oh, um, I don't know if we can um, work. I need commitment from you to do. He gave a speech to everybody, actually. And um, funnily enough, nobody's working for him anymore. Uh, when it finally got shown on BBC Two, it had two credits at the end, himself and his producer girlfriend. I didn't get paid and I didn't get a credit. And that's why I'll never say who he was. Right. I I want him to stay in obscurity, and he has done nothing else since. But while I was working for him at his flat, and we had a wall covered in A4 sheets of paper of his the storyboards that I'd done for him, um, it actually turned into quite a good little movie. I mean, it, it was actually it was up for Oscar consideration for um, international film. Uh, I don't know what agent did that for him, but while we were doing this and we were sketching more stuff and, you know, I just, um, the phone call came through. I'd put in for the jacket, not knowing what it was or who the producers were at the time. Um, I put my name forward as storyboard on it and I got a phone call and they said, um, can you come up for an interview? That guy that I was working with at the time shriveled like a vampire in the sunlight. I was being offered a feature film and he was doing a piss and little short film, scrapping together as much money as he could for it kind of thing. And um, I, I don't think I slept that night because I just didn't know what I was going to do or say or anything. So I just took that guy's storyboards, went up and did the interview um, with John Maybury. And... Um, Oh God, this is when I have to go to uh, IMDb now because I can't remember the... Um, the art director was, he, he did The Queen, I think. 
Hold on a second. I, I need to look that up. I, I'm ashamed that I can't remember him because he was such a nice guy. Um, is somebody going to beat me to it with a better internet connection? <laughs> <laughs> uh well there's there's uh there's four uh art directors listed is it uh jean-pierre paquois oh no he was canada oh, okay. um, our, our, our supervising art director um was it mags horsebow no she was standby i think all right isabel <laughs> go for the fourth one you may you know fourth time karen todd no, God no! Hold on. Oh, Alan McDonald. Alan Mc production designed by Alan McDonald. Yes, yes. Um, wonderful <laughs> guy. I mean, okay. really incredibly talented. I mean, what look at you know the other credits that he's done. He was, oh, uh, he's done. Yeah, he's got some impressive credits there. He's got impressive. the Queen, Philomena. Uh, you know, all all the Stephen Frears <laughs> stuff. Basically, he seems to always work with. Yeah. And significantly enough, before that, he worked with John Mayberry on Love Is the Devil. Um, right. Which is, I mean, if you've seen Love is the Devil, it's, uh, you, you can tell why Maybury was put up for the jacket. I mean, he's, first and foremost, Maybury's a, a, an artist. You know, he, um, he went to uh, college with, um, what do you call it, uh, Jarman. Um, in fact, he actually boasted that when, when, he got his, um, when he got his art grant at the beginning of the year, the, the academic year, him and Derek Jarman went up to Camden Market to get rubber underwear. <laughs> I think John was like, I think John Mayberry was actually trying to shock me and I was like hey I went to art school mate you, you can't shock me you know <laughs> um, but uh, yeah um, I went for an interview with them in a, a smoke filled room because Mayberry is a chain smoker um, and um, I, I think his, his appraisal of me was oh I love all the little errors and um, oh yeah you definitely got the job mate and um, I did. What was that? <laughs> but did, I, I, I got to put this in there because it was a bit of serendipity because um, I was in uh, a, a, a directory that we have up there. Again, I won't mention the name of it because it did nothing for me. Um, but uh, I paid to be in that directory and got no work out of it. And then that year that uh, the, the jacket was being made, I, I couldn't afford to put my name in it. And I went, well, I wasn't getting any work out of it anyway. Um, they were so cheap in the bloody production office. They had the previous years that I was in. They hadn't bought the new one because it was 50 <laughs> quid. And that was how I got a phone call from nice. the previous bloody year. Um, nice. And um, if I had, uh, you know, if they bought the new one, I wouldn't have been in it and I wouldn't have got it. That's that's just craziness. Well, sometimes but, you uh, need a little bit of luck on your side. <laughs> so that's good. Um, I'm, I'm curious with a film like The Jacket, which, by the way, I actually, you know, I, I actually really enjoyed that film. I know it's had sort of mixed oh, reviews, but I really good, enjoyed yeah. it. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm curious. I mean, how much. How much is actually storyboarded and, you know, what sort of ratio of, of the film was actually storyboarded? Was it just action sequences or was it sort of everything? Oh, God. Um, now, the thing was, like I say, up until that point, I'd only done, you know, short films, corporates and things like that. So when I went on to my first movie, um, again, we're, we're really at the infancy of the internet here. I mean, we were all on dial-up at that time, so I had no reference. I really didn't, you know, apart from maybe animation books like Richard Williams and things like that that I, that, that I still have, um, I didn't know how to approach it. And Mabry basically said to me, oh, I don't use storyboards. Everybody else can fucking look at them. I don't. 
Um, <laughs> and so basically, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I, I storyboarded the whole film, but it was my interpretation of it, not the director's, you know, that it really was just a reference. I, I just I I put it I put down what I thought it would look like kind of thing. Um, Mary John Mary went off and did whatever he wanted, and nobody really knew what he was going to do. I mean, it, it, if you look at Love Is the Devil, there's no way you could storyboard that because um, I, I don't. I, why it is so visually interesting to watch that? Not just for the performances and with the young Dan Craig and stuff like that. Um, it, it, it's just. He wasn't allowed to use um, Bacon's paintings in it, Francis Bacon's paintings. So what he did was he recreated them visually. Um, you know, like um, uh, oh, who's the who's the main guy? Derek. Um, who was playing Bacon in that? It was uh, Derek. Come on, somebody. <laughs> <laughs> that, oh, yeah, this, we're not seeing Love is the we, Devil. We, we're corpse in here. We really are. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. What, which film was this on? Love is his the devil. Um, oh, Derek Jacobi. Derek yeah. Jacobi. Um, they, they would do like reflections of the reflections of the the characters in twisted mirrors and stuff like that to recreate it and make it look like Bacon's paintings, because legally they weren't allowed to use his stuff. Interesting. Um, so you know, can you imagine storyboarding that? That would have been a bloody nightmare. Mm. Um, so it, it, he. Maybe he, he really approaches things from an artist's point of view and specifically from a fine art painting point of view. Um, a lot of what you see, you know, the, the drab palette that Peter Deming used on, on the jacket, that was specifically, um, you know, um, John Mabry wanted to work with Peter Deming because he loved all the stuff that he'd done um, with um, Lynch, David Lynch. Um, mm -hmm. And they, they, they worked closer together than, you know, they did with me as a storyboard artist to just to put up what he wanted on that. And it is a strike for what it is. It's a little Twilight, Twilight Zone-esque tale, but he really makes it look different. He makes it feel different. I remember the, the original ending was that he turned out that he died on the operating table. And that's, that's a bit more, that's a bit of a cliche, really. So he gives you a sort of positive ending where you don't know. If, if you're in the dream or in his memories, or if he is genuinely time traveling. Um, mm. and th that's all down to just the, um, the organicness of, of his direction kind of thing. And, and it pervades in everything that he's done. It really does. So, uh, yeah, there's a reason why Steven Soderbergh wanted to work with John Mabry. He's, he's just, he, I think he is a visionary, but in a, in, in a, much, more, in a much more intimate scale than, um, you know, maybe at some big epic or something like that. I just want to sort of talk about the the technique of it. So when you're brought on as a storyboard artist, um, what's what's the first thing that happens? Are you given a script or do you sit down with the director and he says, well, I want these shots? How does it normally work? It's all different with, with every single director that you, that, that you get, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, looking back on it now and how naive I was and how naive everybody was working on the jacket, um, I storyboarded the whole thing, and you know, when I go into the the, the other stuff, um, we break down how much time we have in pre-production, and certainly how much time they're willing to have me for, and how much they want to pay me. Um, so we will specifically look for you know what needs to be addressed. Um, in Doomsday, it was um, stunts and 
car driving sequences, you know, the, the chase scene that we had towards the end of the movie. Mm. Um, and we, we would just concentrate on those. Um, it, there's no use doing the, the whole damn film. A good deal of it will be talking heads. Um, and you don't need uh, storyboards for that. So, you know, you, we go through it, see what, see what needs to be done. And it, it differs from each of, the, um, each of the directors. It might just be a fight scene. Um, uh, but then again, it might involve heavy special effects, and I might not just be doing storyboards. It might be VFX breakdowns, um, showing because uh, I understand special effects. I'm a huge fan of it, um, both practical and visual. And I I will sit down and I I will explain green screens and an illustration to people um, because you don't know who you're going to be meeting, um, who's going to be available at any one time. I, usually when I'm on we haven't approached visual effects yet. So we're sitting down figuring out how we're going to do something. So do you ever get like a, a shot list or sort of some sort of uh, like maybe the director's had a go at his own storyboards? So if I'm lucky, someone's done some thumbnails. I mean, bless him. I, uh, when I worked with Paul Hyatt, he does, you know, he, he's, he's very obsessive about what he wants to do and very specific about what he, what he wants to do. And he does these wonderfully, um, primitive thumbnail sketches, which he then sends to me, um, and I show them to people just to torture poor Paul, and they are they're, they're very funny. Um, and then I, you know, I, I do my interpretations of them and I add to them, and 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 we we, we go through all of that. Then then you get you know the likes of Neil Marshall who just throws a script at you and disappears. Um, and you, <laughs> if we're like, yeah, I, I have to say when we worked on Doomsday, we were spoiled rotten. Much as it's set in Scotland, we really realised that we couldn't film it up there. And so it, it ended up getting shot in South Africa, but we had offices for pre-production in Covent Garden, and we got so fat from eating the food locally. Um, <laughs> and we would, we'd had our offices, you know, art department were right across from the director and God knows what. And we just, you know, we, we walked up and down the corridor and asked questions and we could practically shout through to the next room and ask questions we didn't have to mm. phone or anything like that so that we were lucky with that we could actually sit down and have proper meetings and say look what do you want to do here and this and that and that kind of thing and um that that was you know that that was sheer luxury being able to do something like that but other times like on unknown which at the time was called unknown white male um i storyboarded the crash sequence on the bridge where Liam Neeson loses his memory. We did mm -hmm. that, you know, that I was in Cornwall, the director was in LA and I think the producer was over in Berlin. Um, and yet, you know, we managed to do conference calls and get it all together and it, 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 that worked really well. It, it's a, it's a different film, piece every way. time that you do. <laughs> Sorry? Did you I like said that I one? love that. Oh, I, I, I really like Unknown. It's it's one of those sort of guilty pleasure films. I really like. Yeah. It. But um, yeah, I, I do have I do have a question though. On that note, well, I've got a couple of questions um, about the actual process itself. Because um, do you? I mean, obviously, technology is changing everything all the time. Um, you know, the world we live in. Do you do everything with uh, paper and pencil or do you tend to work on a tablet or in a particular package? I mean, how is it done nowadays or does that vary, you know, film to film? That's an evolution in, in itself because, you know, well, back when I was doing it for the short films and that, that it was uh, done on paper and photocopied. And if you had additional 
frames to do, um, you you had to cut them out physically and move them around, kind of thing, um, just for for sheer thing. Um, yeah, because mid nineties, we had Photoshop and stuff like that, but um, you you needed a, a fancy rig to really run it. Uh, I didn't have a scanner. Um, I think when when I was working on the jacket, I actually had to hire a laptop from a friend of mine to be able to show a, a very primitive animatic that I'd done um, for a stunt sequence uh, to the director. Um, that was expensive. Um, but even then, still doing it on paper, still photocopying it um, and doing it, uh, you know, drawing additional scenes. I think it, by the time that I got to Doomsday and I went down to London to work down there, I had a, a portable scanner the same size as the, the laptop that I had then. Um, and you know, a, a stable copy of Photoshop that I could work from, but still very laborious. And the stuff was still done on paper, scanned in, uh, edited, and then printed back out again. Um, even doing PDFs was difficult at that point. Um, and now, uh, let's you know, it, it's still I was still using the, the the portable scanner up until that point. Thank you, Canon. Thank you for doing one that fits in a. <laughs> in, a, in a laptop bag um, and now I use um, a Cintiq uh, by Wacom um, which is you know basically a, a portable computer um, it looks like an iPad but it uses a, a more sensitive stylus and it approximates my shitty pencil work really pretty damn good you can't tell the difference so um yeah, that, that's what I'm using at the moment. You'd think it would speed me up, but you actually get more pernickety because you're doing it digitally. You know, if there's a line you don't like, you might find yourself going over it a few more times. Um, it's all discipline. It's all, you know, uh, figuring stuff out. When I'm on a roll, yeah, uh, digitally, I, I can knock the stuff out very quickly. Um, plus, you know, with a good internet connection, I can use that same... Uh, pad for conference calls, um, doing my emails, doing my research in the background. Uh, yeah, the, like like evidence for Google Images and 3D uh, packages that you can use from these things because you know I can use that as reference in the background and quickly you know uh, if there's a specific location, uh, maybe like the MI5 building or something like that, I can quickly take a picture off the internet and trace over the top of that. There are old style artists that will look at me with horror and say, "You traced," and I'm like, "Yeah, fuck you! No, nobody cares how nobody cares how you did it. It's just that you get the damn picture done in the end, and everybody knows what it is. Uh, yeah. I don't care, you know. You're not precious, then. You don't mind sort of what medium you work on. Uh, exactly. It's just doing the job, basically. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's what gets the job done in the end, um, and whatever gives you the edge. That, that being said, there are other directors that will say, oh, I prefer things on paper. I like that. Fine, I'll go back and do it on paper and pencil. Just understand that, that that all adds to the time and it all adds to and time is money. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it adds to the process, doesn't it? No. Oh, yeah. And, and, and what about um, you, you touched upon very briefly there animatics and obviously more and more films, uh, you, you know, particularly with lots of visual effects and things mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. um, uh, having you know quite detailed, complex animatics done uh, prior. Um, do you, is that is that in any way uh, sort of taking away the art of, of of 
doing storyboards or is there still a demand for, for both, you know, sort of traditional storyboards and yeah. animatics? Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm lucky enough to have directors who do like their 2D storyboards. Um, and, you know, you can sort of cross over between that and animatics um, and Storyboard Pro where you can actually, you know, you can animate from within it very uh, primitively. You can put soundtracks on top of it. Um, the, the fellow that does the, the Marvel comic stuff, he's, he's head of the um, storyboard department on that. He predominantly uses Storyboard Pro. And he brings a lot of 3D elements into it in the background. Um, very, very slick stuff. Uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he did um, an animatic, a proposal for a Halloween reboot. And it was really good, really right. slick, and really brutal and right back to its origins kind of thing. Um, unfortunately, it never got funded, but hey, it's a great portfolio piece. Um, yeah, I mean, whatever needs to be done, I'll use it kind of thing. For, for the most part, people like the 2D stuff, and that's what I'm known for. But um, more recently, and, and specifically when I worked on Game of Thrones, I, I used a piece of software called iClone, which is up at version 6 at the moment. And I'll, I'll explain the reason why we used that is because it became very difficult to do it as a 2D storyboard. This is for the, the, the wonderful Michelle McLaren. Um Basically, we had to do in season four uh, a, a mid-season closer which revealed the origins of the White Walkers. And we couldn't really officially show what was going on. So this whole sequence, and it only lasts about a couple of minutes, it was all about obscurement and, you know, things being out of focus and maybe... You know, you, you couldn't see them. And, and we thought about these different ways, like um, looking through ice, looking through snow, looking through the point of view of, a, of the baby that was in the scene. So it was all blurred kind of thing. You can see what was going on until the big reveal at the end. And um, I couldn't draw that. You couldn't draw that. So I, I brought iClone in and um, I, I was doing stuff in 3D, animated in 3D in real time. And um, we, we actually, you know, we, we showed uh, the, the white walker on the back of a horse um, obscured uh, by ice and the sheets of ice in front of it, like stalactites. So you had all this refraction going on and stuff like that. And because we really didn't know what we were going to show at that point. And, and of course, now with, with the later seasons, the Night's King has become a character in it. And by God, it, what a bloody great design they did for it. Um, but that, that that was um yeah that 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 was a that was a bit crazy that one um that's that was one of the the the, the jewels in my, in my portfolio that that we actually managed to get that done um in the time that we had um has everybody seen that episode do, do, do you yeah. know the one that I'm talking about yeah yes yeah um we we could only hint at what was going on you know that that uh, babies were being taken to the, the the north of Westeros kind of thing and transformed. We only hint at it that they're transformed into White Walkers. And it was a, a very brief um, origin story. Mm. And I don't think they need to do anything more than that now. That was um, that was an important sequence. It's just we didn't know how much money we had. We didn't know what the Night's King was going to look like. I put forward a few designs for it, but um, uh, they, they trounced me with the, um, the sort of blue Darth Maul that they had at the end. Um, played by um, <laughs> played by a wonderfully gaunt actor called Richard Brake, who I'm just looking at the pictures of him on IMDb right now. He said they couldn't have picked a better person for it. Oh, he was. 
Um, fucking terrifying. Really was. So how was it working on Game of Thrones? Because um, did did you work with each director of each episode, or did you? How did that work? The long story is, I I got approached for uh, season three because Neil Marshall had recommended me, and I think Will Simpson, uh, the the head storyboard artist there, had mentioned me as well, um, because we'd worked together on a movie called Your Highness, um, in the same studios, uh, 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 Titanic, before it was called Titanic, and um, I got offered uh, three. And I, I, I can't remember where I was at the time. And they never got back to me. And I was like, ah, you sure. That's this kind of thing. Um, <laughs> and um, I, I hadn't watched any of the episodes because I went in a massive huff. And then I got a phone call <laughs> from the same girl, Lisa. Um, and, and she said, would you be available for uh, episode four? And I was like, yeah, whatever. Um, and um, a couple of days later, they confirmed that I was going to be on it. I was like, oh, shit. And I had to watch 30 episodes in, um, I think it was a week and a half, uh, to catch up on the damn series. And then uh, two days after that, I was in Belfast and I had a pile of scripts in front of me. Um, Neil Marshall came in uh, and said, oh, yeah. Um, and it turned out I wasn't working on his episodes. Well, got all of those. Um, and that was the Battle on the Wall, um, which I think took up one whole episode. So while I was doing all the mammoths and giants and stuff like that, I ended up, I was working uh, specifically with and uh, Alex Sakharov, uh, who did The Sopranos, and um, Michelle McLaren, who uh, about a couple of months later would be receiving an award for Breaking Bad, um, because she was one of the, the, the main directors on that. And you couldn't get more different directors you can. <laughs> uh, Alec, I think I did a couple of sequences for him and some VFX breakdowns. Again, uh, using iClone because we had to show the set and where the um, the green screen was going to be um, for the, the, the Bravo sequences with um, Liam Cunningham and uh, the Stannis characters and things like that. But, mm. I, you know, I, I would do stuff for Alec and then hand it in, and then I'd wait to see if anything needed to be changed, and I'd just get a call saying, yeah, great, brilliant, great, yeah. Do you need any ch- uh, changes up? No, great, brilliant, great, kind of thing. Then you'd work with Michelle, and you would draw and redraw every. It sounds like I'm complaining here, but this is my job. This is what I do, you know. Mm. Michelle <laughs> would change things, and we, we would put the order different, and we would have characters just... You know, uh, changing size and, uh, and and you're very, very meticulous what, what she would do. You couldn't get more different directors. And I, I have no complaints about either of them. You know, um, I just a real honor to have that chalk and cheese. Um, it really was. But um, I, I, I can't say enough high praise about uh, Game of Thrones and everybody that works on it. It, it truly is. Uh, and this is a phrase that I've worn out. It's an embarrassment of riches over there. It really is uh, just a, a great production crew to work with, great cast. Um, just and Belfast is just such a wonderful place to be, and, and great people for all its troubles that it's had in the past. That it, it hasn't lost its heart. It's just it's a wonderful, wonderful place. Um, yeah. Have you worked uh, with uh, Have you worked with David Nutter at all? Because he recently won an Emmy uh, for some of his in for some of his episodes of, of Game of Thrones. No, I, I think Will uh, specifically works with Dave um, uh, and has, has done recently. Uh, what was uh, Dave's episodes? 
Uh, what is, what oh, is he Christ. Yet? I mean, he's done everything right from, I mean, back yeah, in the earlier seasons, yeah. he did that whole blood wedding or yep. red wedding yeah. thing. Yep. Um, so, yeah, he's done quite a lot of them uh, scattered throughout um, the seasons. So Oh, yeah, he did the episode to the end of last season. That's right, this finale, didn't he? For last yeah. season, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it, 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 certainly, I would have met him while he was up there. Um, and I, I, of course, uh, our, our wonderful producer over there, Chris Newman, who was also on your on your highness, who told me that his first job was Ewok wrangling. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I, I, he, he's uh, you'll see him on the making of the prequels as well. You know, um, George Lucas specifically went and uh, made sure that he got back for the prequels kind of thing. Um, and I, I urge you to actually look for um, interviews with him on uh, talking about season six because he's got the most awesome beard at the moment a big white beard and long white hair, and he just looks great. Um, I, again, a, a great guy to work with uh, as, as the overall producer, but um, everyone, everyone's good there. E- even the runners uh, are, are just such great people. They put so much work in. Uh, and just getting it, because uh, I'm terrible for wandering around sets. Some people like that, some people don't. But um, getting to actually stand on the sets and use them as reference uh, is really good as well. Did uh, Spider-Man make an appearance on Game of Thrones? Um, I was in the process of buying the costume back then. Um, <laughs> I actually, um, when I ordered that, I, I ordered it from Taiwan. Um, it, 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 as everybody knows, I'm a terrible for running around sets in my Spider-Man costume. Um, <laughs> I'm a big fan of Spider-Man because, like, he's um, he's amazing. And um, I, I went over to the costume department. I had to take my measurements to send off for this thing, and I went over to the costume department on Game of Thrones. And all these these girls sitting at sewing machines turned around and looked at me quizzically again. And I said, uh, uh, hi, I'm an idiot and I need measurements for a Spider-Man costume. And they all burst out laughing. Um, and uh, I got taken aside and they did my measurements for me and I sent off for it. But yeah, not in time to actually invade the set. But um, yeah, uh, uh, Spidey will be, sad fat Spider-Man will be turning up. Uh, on, on <laughs> <laughs> he he did come out in uh how oh indeed he did um <laughs> <laughs> many photographs have turned up since then from other crew members and stuff like that and i, I remember uh paul hyatt coming into the um the thing and, and talking about you know um storyboards and and what they were doing next and then then he went was that you running around the fucking spider-man suit Nice. Yeah, he, he'll be getting some upgrades at some point um, because I've noticed that the, the, the new Spider-Man in Civil War has been getting upgrades, so I, I think I'll have to do the same. I'll have to lose some weight as well, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how was it working on how? Because I, I know you were actually on at the um, the set that they were using for that. Yeah, um, I, that was my regrets. I never got onto. I, I was supposed to be one of the uh, the punters at the uh, the brothel in Seasoning House, and I never grew oh, to right. it. Um, but you know, it's uh, Seasoning House was one I nearly turned down because it was just so grim. But uh, it was Paul. It was his directorial debut, and um, he, he just said, "Look." we haven't got the, the budget for a proper office or anything like that, so I can't have you down on the set, but he says next time. Um, so, yeah, I regret I never got onto it, but I, I, I do think it's one of the... the, the it, it, it's a terrific debut for him. Um, not a lovable movie, 
by any means. Yeah, it's a very strange film because because um, I because it was the opener at Fright yes. Fest, and um, the the first half is very it's sort of very bleak but shot in a kind of beautiful yes. way. Yeah, and he he. he, said he that. He used a lot of steady cam shots and stuff, and you didn't really see what was going on, but you knew what yes. was going on. And then uh, Sean Pertwee turns up, and then it becomes Die Hard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we always knew that was going to be a tonal shift in it. You know, he wanted mm. to do this this sort of um, this drugged up sort of fairy tale at the beginning of it, where you know you, you were seeing it from the point of a girl point of view, the the, the mute girl played by Rosie Day. Um, played brilliantly by Rosie Day um, and Angel is and she isn't actually she's not drugged up herself but she is in sort of a, a, a shock a state of shock from watching her family being killed and being put into this this brutal um, thing. and then you know she meets this girl and they they, 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 um, they, they hit it off with one another they become friends and then that girl ends up being brutally killed by um uh, the, the the nicest killer rapist that you'll ever meet, Ryan Oliver, and that's the turning point in the movie. That's like when you say it becomes a sort of diehard, um, because yeah. it, it has it, something has to break at that point. She has to um, she realizes that she's going to die there, um, and she has to take on this this sort of action heroine role. Um, I, I do love the fact that even when she leaves the seasoning house, it never properly it's never away. It, 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 mm. the, the season in the house itself is the main character. It, it pervades everything right up until the final shot. Um, even yeah. when you leave the damn yeah. place, and, and you know, I'm not giving spoilers away here. You know, it's uh, she does escape kind of thing, but um, you never truly escape it. It's it really its tentacles are everywhere. Um, so yeah, it, it kind of brings it back around to this this sort of fairy tale nightmare at the end. Still, yeah, I, I think after that, Paul knew he had to do something something very different um because he, he's got a thing that he calls the black site trilogy um or, or no his, his war trilogy of which black site was going to be the next part and we'd done a trailer for that with um oh god and, and name escapes me it's this is where we corpse again um but the uh, anna anna walton we did a trailer for that that was the movie we were originally going to make um and then we we, we did season in house instead and it looked as if we were going to do Black Sight, which would have been interesting. It was a, a, a sort of ninth configuration type of story. Um, and instead, Howell came up and he went, okay, let's do that. Because I got a bunch of guys that I know that uh, I'm not doing specialty. You know, as we all know, Paul did makeup effects for years, for, for more than three decades. Um, but he was happy to put that over to his former crew, uh, headed by Christian. And um, they, they could do all the, the blood and gore and the werewolf effects. And he would get on with the direct. And, and this time around, we got an abandoned factory in South Croydon, which had an office complex attached to it. And we built our set, our train set in there, downstairs. And we had our offices and our makeup and our changing place up the stairs and our green rooms and all of that. And um, we even used nearby uh, Croydon forests as the exteriors. So it was, actually, it was done on an incredibly small scale and a small budget. But I, I said to him at one point, is, is there any pressure on you to put in an American star, you know, a name that will get you some, some global? And he went, no. 
So it's, it's essentially a little British movie that he made, a, a purely British movie that he made there. Um, and, you know, hats off to him, if I had a hat. Um, <laughs> and, you know, for, I, I, I can't remember how long I was up there. Was it five or seven weeks? We, we were just, you know, I, I, I was staying in a little place in South Croydon and getting the, the, the tram over. And um, working from the office up there, and then, you, you know, you could don your Spider-Man costume and go downstairs onto the set. But we were surrounded by uh, a train yard, a cement factory, um, God knows what else in that industrial estate. And it was, um, it was, uh, it was pretty grubby, but um, I think it worked quite well. I mean, what, what, you guys have seen it. What do, what do you think? Oh, I haven't seen it yet. I unfortunately couldn't get a ticket to it at uh, Fright Fest. Oh, God, yes, I forgot. Yeah, I forgot about that. You never mind me. Because they put it in the small screen, which was ridiculous. Yeah, um, I, I was going to say, yeah. I, I missed, I, I was just sort of racking my brains thinking, did I bloody see this? Because obviously yeah. I was at yeah. Fright Fest, but no, I was in the um, in the main screen on the opening night, and this uh-huh. was actually in yeah. one of the other screens, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. So th- I, I unfortunately missed it as well. So I need to check this out. <laughs> well, I, 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 I mean, this is where my bitterness comes out as usual. I didn't get a complimentary ticket to go and see that. There was only a certain amount for the cast and crew, and I, I paid to actually go and see mine. And as it turns out, that's a bit better because um, I got a more comfortable seat. All the cast and crew got the ones at the front, and you know I don't want to crick in my neck. But um, yeah, I just, there is a story behind that. I did, there was some kind of interference. I, I've never truly got the, the what happened behind that, but there was some outside interference that stopped it being part of the main programme. But just think what a great opening film that would have been, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it's, um, you know, we, we've got our contentions with Fright Fests um, and we do that every year. We've always got something to bitch about with it. Um, but, you know, I've known those guys for years and I, again, Fright Fest changes from year to year. There's no status quo with it. There really isn't. Um, I'd love to still see it in Leicester Square, but... Um, Let's see what happens next year. Um, I, I'm, I'm cool about the idea of it going elsewhere, but um, I, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a loyal fan. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll top it up. I know I will. Yeah, I'm unfortunately missing it this year because, um, A, I'm not so keen on the um, new location they've moved mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. which we hope is just for this year. You said that last year, Simon, and ended up going. I remember you announcing on Movie Heaven, Movie Hell last year that you won't be going to Fright Fest. So, you know, you won't be able to uh, do that episode. And then what happened? You went to Fright Fest and joined in on the episode. So yeah. I think that you'll be there. I don't believe you. Well, I, think I, I have there. to say, because <laughs> Shepherd's Bush is so out of the way that the likelihood of me actually sort of bumping into it or being in the... <laughs> the vicinity of it is really remote because you know at leicester square it's sort of the center of everything and shepherd's bush it's just off to the side mm. now i must admit it is it is a pain in the ass to get to yes um you know but but we will work around it i'm sure i'm sure we will <laughs> you um, guys I'm, I'm in cornwall and i'm gonna make it to these damn things <laughs> yeah my plan is to maybe do a day but but mm. My other concern at the moment is I am unemployed, so I don't have money. And, of course, the ticket's going to be, what, at least 185 Plus travel. 
Things are going to change so. for you, Simon. This is going to be your year. You know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Jason, I have got sort of one question. Well, loads of questions, but what, what one that I'm going to ask? I mean, obviously, uh, I know you kind of do um, comic work and, and uh, design mm. work and, and things of that nature as well. But um, it's interesting, you know, you're, you're obviously you're clearly quite a, a movie fan uh, okay, yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you sort of said about the way you got into the industry. So, so the the intent you you never literally went to 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 be a storyboard <laughs> artist. It kind of happened just through those short films, and then and then mm. you know you get in that break with the jacket. Really, yeah, mm -hmm. it's kind of interesting. So you've obviously already waxed lyrical about the jacket and 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 Game of Thrones. Um, I was just wondering in terms of the actual films that you've been involved in though it, is there anything for you that that stands out as a highlight for a particular reason well uh, doomsday is always a guilty favorite with all of us that worked on it because we we were just you know we were, uh neil was at the top of his game then um and I, I, he kind of still is with the, the, the projects that he's being offered he had black sales game of thrones um and and now you know latterly um he's done westworld and um uh, he's been offered lost in space which will be interesting to see you know he's a, he's a good job and director he really is but when when we got doomsday i mean he actually submitted um three uh scripts at that time one of them was going to be eagle's nest which was like um die hard in the scottish highlands uh during world war ii um but the wild card that we put in was doomsday which was you know a, a mad max in scotland and they, they bankrolled it. They said, this is interesting. We'll do this. I don't think we could believe our luck. Um, but we, 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 we weren't even green lit. And we were in, in, in offices in, in, in um, Covent Garden. Um, mm -hmm. I, I just, you know, the people that were coming in and being interviewed, you know, like Lena Headey and um, uh, uh, I keep forgetting her name, the Australian actress that actually came through, did a brilliant uh, reading for us. Who, who's the, the, the girl from Triangle again? Um, Oh, oh, Melissa, Melissa George. George. Melissa yeah. George did such a brilliant In reading stereo. <laughs> Yeah. I, I, I honestly thought she was going to get the part because she, yeah, the, the producers loved her kind of thing. And we, we got Rona Mitra, who was, you know, that's, she was unknown at that time. Um, oh, I love Rona Mitra, though. And she's she, lovely. She did yeah. such a, a great job. I, I saw her recently, she turned, uh, she, well, uh, I was going to, she's turned up in Stargate Atlantis. Uh, not, no, not Stargate Atlantis. Um, what was the last it? Uh, ship. She's on the last ship at the moment. She's on the last ship as well. Um, she yeah. was in, uh, Star what was Stargate? Stargate Universe? Universe. She turned up as a right bitch in that. She was really, really, really ruthless in it. Um, but at, at the time, I was uh, I was like, oh, my God, why didn't Melissa get it? She was so good. But um, no, it, it, she was she was good as Eden Sinclair. I mean, she was she provided exactly what we needed kind of thing um that that kind of stoicism and she doesn't break down until right at the end um that that is practically the only emotional piece that we gave her um but it, that, that was a guilty pleasure um and and paul will tell you paul hyatt will tell you the same thing because he he up sticks and he went over to um south africa to do the makeup effects over there and he he got a great south african crew working with him so good in fact that they came back over to do the uh the london uh, shoot and the, uh, the 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 Scottish shoot that we did. So did you go over to South Africa? No, no, it, it, it was touch and go. 
Um, I, I nearly made it over there, but the caveat is you've got to have a certain percentage of South African crew in order yeah. to shoot over there in South Africa. And um, I remember, um, what's his name? Um, our, uh, Simon Bowles, our, our supervisor, our art director, um, he actually said, oh, sorry, mate. Sorry you didn't make it over to South Africa with us. Uh, maybe next time. And I said, look, you can have me over there. I'm a race riot waiting to happen. And, and he looked at me. He doesn't know how to take my humor. He looked at me and he went, really? And I went, oh, yeah. Pith helmet, Union Jack um, uh, T-shirt, uh, bobber boots. So, yeah, you couldn't have me over there. And he's like, seriously? And I went, no, I'm fucking kidding you, you ass. <laughs> um, but no, when they came back over, um, I, I got to do, um, there was a couple of rewrites. They did an additional sequence at the end, and, and I got to do that. And I got to be on the set as well. Um, uh, when, when we were filming up in Scotland, we were up at a couple of castles up there. Um, and, and I got to wander around and have a look around there. Um, so, yeah, it's, I, I always judge things, uh, any movie that I'm on now, by a Neil Marshall shoot because everything just goes so well when you're working with him. I, I don't know why. It, it, it just locks out. Everything just seems to be... Um, if you watched um, the, the making of um, episode nine, season uh, four of Game of Thrones, there's a, there's a short making of about 15 minutes long, and it shows you the the, the, the chaos of filming and fake ice and snow and um, you know arrows and pyrotechnics going off. And in the middle of it all is this Newcastle bloke with a flat cap on, with a little smile on his face, and just so you're just happy and smug that everything's going all right. Um, <laughs> If things don't go all right, then I, I have to start asking questions because, you know, um, somebody somewhere is fucked up. Um, because everyone else, it, it, when, when you're shooting with him, everything goes so well. It really does. It, there's very, very few things go wrong. Um, Thrones, yeah, is, is the other uh, personal phrase, favorite that I would put on there. And um, very proud of working on um, Season in House. Well, um, I know that you've uh, also worked on some uh, bad stuff. <laughs> uh, do you want to sort of talk about your involvement with uh, the director, Richard Driscoll? Jesus Christ. Oh. <laughs> well, Don't you want to go there? <laughs> this is movie heaven, movie hell. Um, yes. And, and, and I, would, I, would actually, I would urge people, um, if you want, a starter course in Mr. Driscoll. Go to the, the, the wonderful website of a Mr. MJ Simpson where he, he actually has a dedicated page called the Richard Driscoll Experience. Um, for further reading, there's actually a, a, an issue, a recent issue of Dark Side magazine that um, has a, a nine-page feature on him. But um, yeah, I mean, he was, he was my relocation, my reasons for relocating to Cornwall. Um, He'd set up his own studio. He'd bought a farm and built um, um, two big barns and used existing ones to do sets. Um, and, yeah, uh, an incredibly persuasive man, incredibly likable when you're with him. But, my God, what the things that we did, the, 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 just the things that went wrong and God knows what else. It's just... What was your involvement on um, on his films? Was it just purely storyboarding? No, he doesn't do storyboards. He, he said that right. straight away to me. And I, I just said, well, I'd love to do art department then um, because I, I was full of myself at the time because I, I'd done Doomsday 
um, and I'd, I'd got to do the uh, the vehicle designs for the uh, the chase sequence at the end, and you know I'd, I'd I got to do the the, the BFX breakdowns for the um, the mat shots of um, the the, uh, the 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 post apocalypse Glasgow. Um, that was one of my reasons for doing Doomsday because we got to destroy Glasgow in it, and I hated the place so much. <laughs> um, I couldn't pass that up. Um, but yeah, I, I, on the back of that, I really thought, hey, you know, I could go into art direction and uh, art design for for films, and I I, I did screes and screes of work, and um, as things progressed and there was no budget and nothing got done, I lost the will to live. But met so many wonderful people while working on it. Let's keep things positive here. Mm. Um, we've all got stories to. Everyone you meet has got stories to tell. Um, I, I, I recently did a, a Skype interview um, with people, and I mentioned that I'd, I'd worked with uh, Richard and um, the, the 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 producer who was on Skype with me. I saw him frown and say, "Richard Driscoll, hold on a minute." And I saw him tapping it in, and it turned out that he'd bumped into him as well. Um, I, I I got into a conversation at one of the the, the freight fests with um, who was the fellow who did uh, Terror Block and Cockneys vs Zombies. Um, oh, um, the the writer. Yes, he knew oh. about him as well. Everybody's kind of knew about him. It, it's just <laughs> um, uh, uh, M- Melanie uh, Melanie Light worked out there as well. Um, oh, right. Uh, one of my friends, Anthony, who's um, who's, who's just finishing a, a shoot uh, 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 somewhere else. Um, he he worked there. Uh, yeah, the the writer's James Moran. James Moran's heard of him. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the the producers that worked with him on Cockneys vs Zombie. He'd known about. You know, he's he's just. Uh, it is. It, it it's one of those things where there are certain directors out there who's. When you see their work, you think, "My God, how on earth did they get this made?" And then you look—they've <laughs> gone on to make more stuff. And you go, "Who on earth keeps hiring them?" Well, they don't. I mean, he's just—he's like I say, he's um. Uh, they call him like um, the Ed Wood of Cornwall. Where certainly when he was working down here, but that's 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 a mean thing to say about him because. He is an incredibly persuasive man. I think he would be an incredible producer. He really would because he, you know, he managed to get together money for his projects uh, from several investors. Um, if you actually had him working in the background as a producer, you would get stuff done. You would get yeah. movies made, kind yeah. of thing. But my God, you know, it is. A, I know you're listening this to this, Richard. I know you 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 will listen to this podcast. And my God, man, I love you. I really do, but I, you know, I know you hate my guts, kind of thing, and you, you called me the devil. Um, but um, <laughs> I, you, you know, why did he call you the devil? Because I left. Ah, I left to do Centurion. Um, you know, I, I, I turned up for another day at, at Driscoll's, and it was another day with no budget, and there, there, there was, you know, we we, we couldn't do. I couldn't do any uh, plan ahead for a set build because we, we just didn't know if we were going to go ahead. We came back after, a, a, I think, a six-month hiatus. I'd been working in a hotel to bring in the money kind of thing. I, I, I showed loyalty. I came back and I, I worked with them. And I got a phone call one morning while I was there at the farm. And it was Simon Bowles asking if I wanted to do Centurion. And by the way, you've got two days to make up your mind. And I I just went, 
in the space of a morning, I had to say, Richard, I gotta go. And he threw a massive huff at me and uh, he wouldn't pick up the phone after that. He wouldn't talk to me, he wouldn't do anything. Um, but uh, it's uh, after I left, I think that was a catalyst for him. Uh, he gave up on doing the, the project that he was working on, which I think was part of his Raven tri- trilogy. Um, which was going to be the follow-up to uh, Evil Calls, right. um, which then became The Legend of Harold Woods and is currently being renamed something else to be put out on DVD again under a different edit. So did you work on uh, El Dorado? No, that, that was when he, he... After I left, he stopped developing the Raven trilogy and he did El Dorado in 3D instead, um, which was a horror musical... Uh, you guys, has anybody seen it? Have you seen it? I, I've seen, um, I've seen clips of it. Um, I have to say, the best thing in it was uh, Rick Mail. Oh yeah, the the, the oh, bit with yeah. Rick Mail in it is really good. But I mean, um, I don't know if you're looking at the uh, page for this, Keith. Uh, it's it's on IMDb as Highway to Hell. Oh yeah, and the the cast list is Daryl Hannah, Peter O'Toole, David Carradine, wow. Jeff Fahey. Michael Madsen, Patrick Bergen, Bridget Nelson, Stephen Gutenberg, Rick Mail, Sylvester <laughs> McCoy. It's like, how on earth did he get all these people? I told you, he sees an incredibly persuasive man. Let us say, MJ rather meanly calls him the Ed Wood of, of uh, independent filming. And, and I, I think of him more as William Shatner. Not least <laughs> of which because... William Shatner back in the, the, the late 60s, if you watch some old 16mm or uh, stuff that the, the crew members did, Shatner has two big Doberman dogs, and so did Richard Driscoll. And they, they, they were two wonderful dogs called Wallace and Gromit. They were, they were fantastic. <laughs> and, um, you know, bless her, he, did, he, was, he always looked after his animals. You know, they always made sure that they were fed. Um, it, 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 it's, um, but uh, like I say, he... he my God, he could talk. He can talk. Uh, he could talk the legs off you. He could tell you, you know, you know that the movie you were working on was the best thing yet. He, he would tell you that the studios that he built in Cornwall, they were going to be the next Hammer films. There are interviews with him on YouTube. I, I urge you to go and see them. There's one called Silence of the Llamas. Um, go and look for that. Um, and he's, um, he's, 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 you know, it just... He convinced you of everything. He convinced me to come, you know, leave Scotland and come down here. Um, mm. And, you know, I, I got my regrets, but um, I, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have put it by me. One of the reasons that I went to, to, to talk to Paul Hyatt was because he'd done work for him on, on uh, a, a project called Cannibal years before, which oh, was right. a ripoff of Hannibal. And straight up, um, Driscoll will tell you that it wasn't, and it was a completely original story. <laughs> it wasn't. Well, I'm looking at the poster, and it looks like a bloody ripoff. Um, I mean, even spelt cannibal with a K. There's whole <laughs> se- sequences of dialogue lifted from Silence of the Lambs, um, delivered by himself because he was also the main actor in it and the producer. Um, and Paul Hyatt uh, did a, a corpse for, for one of the sites. And it took me ages. You know, I, I worked with Paul on, on Doomsday, but on, only briefly, and I never got to talk to him. And, um, I, and curiously enough, I didn't approach him. I was quite intimidated by him. I didn't approach him on Centurion either until I visited the set uh, months later with a friend, uh, Anthony, my friend. Um, and I went up to talk to him and I said, um, I did, this, this is Anthony. Did, did, and uh, both of us worked for... Uh, 
got to know each other from working at Richard Driscoll and Paul Hyatt went, oh, wow, yeah. We've all got skeletons in our cupboards and um, yeah, Richard's one of them. But he fully admitted that, yeah, he'd work for him again. He would absolutely, absolutely work for him again. I would as well. Um, you know, he's, he's just, at the very least of it, you'll come out with stories to tell. You really will. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I must admit, when you get like a whole lot of crew or directors together, we do tend to talk um, about the bad films we worked <laughs> on. We tell the war stories. <laughs> you know, you won't believe what happened on this one. Oh, no, no, no. Trust me, this is worse. Oh, yeah. I, I've got one better than that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, after I left, I remember that he had a parrot called Jesus that escaped one day and went up onto the uh, the scaffolding above the sets. And um, Richard apparently was climbing up after him, and this parrot was just screaming obscenities from the top of the thing. I, I'd pay money to see a video like that. I really did. <laughs> um, I, 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 I remember going around the, just just little intimate stories, like um, you know, at the end of the night. And remember that this is in the middle of the um, Cornwall with no lights on a farm, hmm. um, pitch black in the in winter with driving rain. And I was going around all the um, the, the studio doors, making sure they were all locked for the end of the night. And I heard this this ghostly howling coming from uh, Studio D, I think it was. And I was like, ooh. And I, I could hear scratching as well. What the hell is that? And I opened up the door and one of the Dobermans came running out. He'd been locked in there for an hour and we'd forgotten about him. <laughs> this poor dog knocked me over, panicking, getting out of this thing and ran back to the um, ran back to the uh, the main office. And I closed the door, locked it up, and I walked into the uh, the main office and I just... Somebody apologise to that dog. I don't know which of you locked him in there, but apologise to that poor dog. And it's, Gromit was sitting there on, on a, a, an exercise trampoline, which it would get used as a bed, just looking completely baffled. Um, <laughs> we had to, there, there was a, a, a reception hall in the, uh, the, the main office that was just, uh, had glass cabinets full of uh, memorabilia. There was, um, Richard was a, 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 a Peter Cushing fan. Oh, and he right. had Peter Cushing's CV and written in pencil at the end of this CV and in, in, in Peter Cushing's uh, handwriting was Star Wars. Oh, nice. He'd, yeah. he'd actually hand, he'd written it by hand at the end. Just to say, oh, yeah. Oh, I, I happen to have done this little movie as well. But it was typed. <laughs> it was all typed, beautifully typed. Um, it was all yellowing and cracked at the edges. But written at the end and in hand was Star Wars 1977, Grand Moff Tarkin. Um, wow. I was like, wow. And that was, that was framed. Naturally, that was framed. But um, he also had um, the original Stormtrooper helmet because okay. um, Richard was in, uh, he was one of the X-Wing pilots in uh, Return of the Jedi. Okay. Um, and but believe me, I'm getting the Blu-ray, so I, and, and I'm going to uh, pause on it and try and find them. Um, but yes, he's there somewhere in the background kind of thing. Um, oh, and, uh, and a whole load of other things. You know, he, he had guns from the Fifth Element and Judge Dredd and stuff like that all, 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 all up in the background. He was a big movie fan. You could sit and talk with movies about it in the same way that we are sitting talking right now. A real uh, enthusiast, um, you know, um, very derisive of uh, contemporary directors because, you know, he, he was better than all of them. Um, 
but um, yeah, that just yeah, we've all got <laughs> stories to tell about him, kind of thing. Yeah, that said, I I don't know if I call it movie hell at the time it was, but looking back on it, we, 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 we there's, there's a kind of fondness to it. There really is. Well, I mean, for some of the experiences I've had, I would say uh, you do look back at it <laughs> and you laugh. Yeah. But there are other times where you just go, what was I thinking? Why didn't I just, just walk away? I mean, it's just so, you know, and also the fact that you're not getting, you know, some of these nightmarish, nightmarish experiences you're not getting paid for. So you don't even have that accent, you know. I, I love both of your stories that you come out with, both of you, Simon, uh, Keith. Um, but, you know, <laughs> whenever I'm sitting with you, I'll be low. That's nothing. You know, I, I can I, I can tell you about you know the, the the wrecked helicopters that got um that got delivered one day to the set in Cornwall and um the lorry got stuck because it was um it was a single track road and it just had to stay there the whole night and I watched the sun go down on this carcass of a, a Bell helicopter just sitting there kind of thing, pissing rain and um I, I just looked at Richard and I said, you're going to be the death of me one day. You really are. <laughs> um, I, I still don't know if we used, the, used those damn things. They were, they were kind of like set dressing. But, um, yeah, oh, God, the things he got off eBay and, and, and things like that. Um, I remember we had the um, the wicker basket from the, the balloon in the Avengers movie. Oh, really? We, we bought, yeah, that, that got bought off eBay and... Um, it was in a, a sorry state because it had been in somebody's back garden used by their kids. So when we put it into Studio D, um, we had to tilt it on its side using a crane and roll it in. And all these toys fell out from inside it. <laughs> Water pistols and dolls and goodness what else. And um, yeah, we, we were going to use that for Watchmen of Hellgate. Um which was set in an alternative future where the Nazis had won. He loved his Nazi iconography. And um, uh, we, we were going to have a, a balloon with a smiley face on it, you know, because Watchmen. And uh, yeah. there, there, there was going to be this, this guy with a rocket launcher inside this, this balloon firing at us. And I always thought to myself, why don't I just draw something and we build that with the money that you wasted buying this piece of fucking shit that's fallen to bits in Studio D. Oh, <laughs> I, I will say this. Um, it, it, it was big enough that I could hide in it and nobody could find me. Um, it still had some of the uh, the, the original uh, seating and stuff like that inside it. So I used to sneak over to the set and go inside that. Um, mm. We also built a police box. Um which I was going to use as my studio because um, um, Sylvester McCoy was going to be one of his stars and was on um, um, El Dorado. And I, I said to the, the, the guy that built it, can you put a lock on the inside so that I can go inside it and just bolt it and nobody can get to me? Um, <laughs> it was big enough I could put my drawing board inside it and, and, and um, I, I figured out that if the wind was blowing right, I could get a wireless signal. So I, uh, with a power supply, I could actually just sit in there, draw stuff, and use my uh, my laptop. But uh, that that didn't come to pass. But um, yeah, um, it, it's all something of a haze. But every now and then, you know, things come back to you that happened on that. There's always one funny story after another. 
yeah. uh, of, of working yeah. on that kind of thing. Um, hmm. Yes. I I remember, uh, was it the Raven, Evil Calls, the Raven we actually showed at Leicester Square and round the corner at the time was the um, the Rambo. Um, oh, Rambo 4? Yeah, uh, it was the red carpet do for uh, Rambo 4. So we oh, were okay. up in the Prince Charles Cinema showing Evil Calls <laughs> and everybody was going to see Sylvester Stallone. Um, so I actually think we did the better movie, but that's that's just me. <laughs> well, if only you'd got Sylvester Stallone in it. I, I remember I didn't I, I, I ended up I didn't get to go to the 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 the, the screening in the, the Prince Charles because I, I went up onto Oxford Street and met a, a, a friend up there before I had to go back down to it and I got food poisoning and I never made oh. it. I, I, oh, I, I hobbled <laughs> back down and um I, I one of the, the um one of the production staff met me. He said, "Yeah, he phoned me. He said, where the hell are you?'" And I says, "Well, I'm I'm coming past the cinema just now, and uh, I remember him running up to me and saying, where the hell have you been?'" And then he saw me, and I had no color in my face, and he went, "What the hell happened to you?" And I'm like, uh, "Yeah, another story. Um, uh, just one story after another." And the the the, the nightmare drive back to um, the Cornwall um, overnight using a, a hired Land Rover. Um, it just it got more and more surreal. Uh, I mean, I um, I worked on a film in Broccoli where um, it was uh, it was in the basement of a hairdresser's. <laughs> and... I haven't heard this one. This is... Oh, okay. Uh, and it was the the idea is it was you had these forty actresses all playing the same role, and they're all supposed to be like different parts of this same person. Uh. And uh, and but all we could shoot was two white walls. <laughs> So that you know, we had to make all these different um, you know camera angles, but the the amount of different things that he would bring down there was just amazing. Uh, at one point, they had a uh, a fire eater down there, which obviously they didn't tell the owner about because the ceiling to this basement was all wood. Mm. And you know, health and safety, they had two extinguishers, but it was the powder ones. So when they went off in that um, enclosed space, the dust just went everywhere, all over the equipment, everything. And thankfully, I missed that one. <laughs> but um, on the last day, they had um, a performer come down with a, a bow constrictor with a snake. And um, they're doing this scene with uh, this well i wouldn't call him an actor he was a friend of one of the, the directors two directors on this one where one would go up to the actor and go right i want you to do it this way and then as soon as they finished the other director would go up to them and say right i want you to do it completely different mm. <laughs> nothing worse but yeah yeah but so in the middle of this scene with the the bow constrictor um they wanted to take a whole lot of photographs now there was me and there was another cameraman and they didn't ask us to do it. They asked this guy who knew absolutely nothing <laughs> about the about filming or photography or anything like that, but he was keen. <laughs> and, and, you know, he would say, you know, we'd be talking about cameras and he'd be going, no, that's shit. And he's like, what do you mean that's shit? No, no, that's shit. That's not what I've heard. I spoke to so-and-so and so-and-so says that shit. I'm like, oh, fine. And so, but he's taking these photographs, and we had like workman lights to to light this, mm -hmm. you know, basement. Mm -hmm. And he decided to light light down the floor, and 
so he starts taking his photographs and of course he's he's standing over this bloody light and me and the other cameraman we are cracking up because we're we're waiting for him to step on the damn thing and electrocute himself <laughs> mm. I, I think it's, i think it's fair to say in this business whether you're getting paid or not um you know it's always interesting and it's never the same is it yeah <laughs> <laughs> come on keith what's your story oh, no, no, there's, there's, there's too many i'm not gonna go go on this one back, back to the whole sort of storyboarding thing and, and and your 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 cv um jason i've noticed actually on here uh obviously you've got loads of storyboard stuff but you actually have one acting credit i just wondered oh. are you are you kind of a frustrated actor at heart or was this just something that you got roped into because they needed someone on, on this short that you were doing? I'm just, I'm frustrated and full stop. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I, I was working with um, the, the wonderful uh, Zan Salim. Um, uh, he, he's very much a guerrilla filmmaker. He works on absolute micro budgets. And uh, we had two days to shoot that. Um, I, 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 it's just this his his actual script was like two pages long uh, it really was and then that was including all the dialogue kind of thing a lot of it was improvised there and then on, on the set uh and, and not even the set we we just went around glasgow just um and shooting in places um where whoever would let us kind of thing um we, we shot in the street and nobody bothered us we we got away with it kind of thing and we we managed to use uh the cine world uh, one of the uh, one of the um, uh, the, the, the story behind it is it's that the um, the afterworld there's the, there's the, there's a, the afterlife is a sort of um, dole office. It's in levels. When you first die, you are unemployed, and you end up having to sign on. And from there, they evaluate whether you're allowed to move on up, as it were. Um, and it, it's if you've sinned in your previous life, and we never actually say what the the, the main character has done uh, has, has done in this, um, but he he's you know he's constantly under evaluation. But it's always hinted at that he's done something nefarious, not not murder or anything like that. It's just that you know um, uh, the first joke, and it was um, that his um, his wife found his porno stash, um, and um, basically. He, he he ends up in this kind of limbo where he's a, a ghost wandering around Glasgow. We never say it's Glasgow, of course. Um, and um, it, it, he's, you know, no one, it, it's like, uh, what do you call it? Harando and Holkirk deceased. Nobody can see him, oh, but right. he can see everybody else. Um, and he says, one of the things that he does to stave off the boredom is that, you know, you, know, you go for long walks and you go to the cinema and the, the line in it is, if there's nobody there, do they still show the film? Uh, and he says, it's like that analogy where does it, if a tree falls in a forest uh, and there's nobody there to hear it, does it make a sound? And he goes, yes, yes, it does. He says, do you get that analogy? No, oh, it doesn't matter. Um, but it shows you him going to the uh, the cinema. And as he walks out of the cinema, he, he waves to this other ghost that's sitting down at the front. And he goes, all right, Jay. And it's just you just see the back of my head. Um, but with my little bald spot appearing about right then, and I just sort of slowly wave up to him and then go back to watching the, the film kind of thing. In the original cut of it, and there are several cuts, there's a voiceover where he says, that's Jay. 
he's seen Lord of the Rings 37 times. <laughs> and it got a really good laugh because everybody knew me kind of thing. <laughs> I'm not a Lord of the Rings fan, but they know that I'll go and see fantasy and stuff. So, yeah, I, that, that was my, my one cameo. And I, I just said, yeah, I'll, I'll stand in. I'll do that. Um, a few years later, he got to make as a feature called Up There um, with Burn Gorman. And um, he actually asked if I could come down to London and play the same ghost. I, I oh, didn't right. get to do it. Unfortunately. <laughs> I, I, stuck. Oh. I, I was working on um, Sirens at the time, which was called Naked Apes instead. Um, which uh, it, it's no, I, I I never got to travel down. I didn't. I was skint at the time, and I just didn't. Um, I, I didn't have the budget to to go down and see it. But it would have been lovely to reprise my role. Yes, yeah. I, I I'm a whore. I'll do the acting. Um, nobody gets the hint. I run around dressed as bloody Spider-Man. Nobody gets the hint. I want to be in front of the cameras, you know. Um, and my only other uh, cameo would have been as the undesirable punters that were at the um, the brothel in um, in Eastern Europe, and we were going to dress up in you know tacky um, uh, leather jackets and stuff like that, and, 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 and just uh, eye up the uh, the characters as they walk by. Um, I never got to do that either, but uh, one day, one day, I'll, I'll, I'll be there. Hint, yeah, Simon. Just, just draw, you, just draw <laughs> yourself into the storyboards. So that, that, that if, if you have a director that actually follows the storyboards, they'll have to do it. You know. <laughs> uh, well, can I just? I'm just curious as you're sort of talking about that story. So, did they actually get to film in a real doll office, or do they had to? No, we, we we were working in a place called uh, the Glasgow Media Access Centre, which is um, it, it's it's still there, but it's moved to a different building now. And that was where I met a lot of my contacts at the time. It was like um, it, it was like a community video place. You could actually go up and hire cameras from it, which were all uh, uh, high eights things back then. You know, this this was uh, late nineties, early two thousands. They've been going for a long, long while. Um, and I got to work up there as a volunteer because I was unemployed at the time. Um, and that was where I got to meet Ray Talon, um, Blair Young, John Saki, and Zam Salim. And um, I think I, I did some robot costumes for Blair Young up there, and that that got me noticed. That I did my we were going to do our version of Silent Running, and we we did the little drones from it. And oh, I, right. I did uh, I, Huey, Dewey, and Louis. Yeah, if you actually, yeah. it, it used to be up on my old MySpace page, but it, it's it's gone. Um, but there, there was pictures of me in this robot costume where I was bent over. Walking backwards. Um, yes, I remember yes. those. Yeah. Yes. And um, yeah. I, I think I've got some video of that somewhere. I'm going to put it back up again. And Zam noticed me making that stuff, and he says, uh, "You want to come along and help on this shoot?" And um, the actual doll office we used GMAC itself. Right. And because it did have like a little reception area where you signed in and stuff like that, and um, we had a, a, a big. Um, there was an area that, uh, uh, that we used for interviews and sets. And we also had a film club once a month called Cafe Flicker. And um, we, we put a little um, circle of chairs in there and we got our, um, was that did, uh, Chris Hyatt was one of our actors on it, who's went on to other things. <laughs> um, I'll have to look him up again, actually. But um, yeah, and, and, and then wandering around places in Glasgow and stuff like that. I think we went and used, um, I think we used an eat on Buchanan, not Buchanan Street, on Socky Hall Street. And um, we filmed our actors in that from the outside, sitting in the window kind of thing. And this floor scrubber comes up and says, what are you doing? 
And I says, um, oh, we're, we're just filming some actors. And I said, no, you can't do that. And he went and got his manager. And in the time it took oh. him to do that, we buggered off. And we went down the road <laughs> to another place. And, and they went, yeah, you can use this place. Can you? <laughs> it's just, <laughs> that was two days of wondering about Glasgow. Um, and we, like I say, we had no budget, but by God, um, he, he came in, he, I think he, he, he had a, a pot of about £50 of his own money. And he bought us some coffees, some chocolate biscuits, and some cigarettes. And that kept us going for the two days. Um, but I remember it, it got shown around a few festivals and, and it managed to get... Because um, it, it's incredibly funny. If you get the chance to watch it, it's um, mm. John Paul, the main actor in it, has went on to several other things. Um, and he's he's really good. He's like a young John Stott. Uh, no, Ken Stott, sorry. And um, John Paul Hurley, brilliant. And... Um, I think it was a two years later, a check came through from the post in the post for 50 quid. And he says, um, I won best film at Berlin. Uh, I didn't get a lot, but hey, you know, share the spoils. And he sent 50 quid to everybody that worked on it. That's nice. Oh, nice. Just that, bless that, them, you know. That's, uh, that's very rare. There you go. Yeah, very um, um, <laughs> so I have to ask then, what it, what is next for you uh, at the moment? Have you got anything in the um, pipeline? I have an interview coming up. Um, I can't say what it is. Um, Paul Hyatt will probably do something else and hire me because he's a bloody fool. Um, and I don't know what his next project is going to be, but he is finishing off Heretics, which I did the storyboards for two and a half years ago as a pitch. So I technically get a storyboard credit on that, even though it's coming out this year now. I was greatly involved in it. Um, the trailer for that got shown at Fright Fest Glasgow and it was better than some finished movies. Paul came on <laughs> beforehand and apologised for how rough it was going to look. I, I, I didn't see what he was meaning about it being rough. It looks it looks fantastic. It looks scary. Um, so watch out for that. Heretics with a K. Um, and that 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 will come out this year. Um, th th I'm doing VFX breakdowns for the uh, uh, Once for Farmers in Glasgow, who I've collaborated with a lot. Um, and I'm hoping that some of my producer credits come off this year um, and go ahead. Um, I've developed stuff with them for animations. Uh, I'm still in touch with Eddie Murphy from Rough Cut Comics and my good friend who I can't remember his bloody name. <laughs> I'm totally blanking here. Um, Don't worry, we do it all the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, basically with Rough Cut, um, uh, Rough Cut Comics, uh, the Surgeon and Rose Black and uh, all those things that we did as graphic novels and things, I always had um, views to becoming, you know, film projects. So if they do, I'll get a producer credit on it kind of thing. Oh, um, so it'd be nice if one of those took off. Yeah. And are you doing an animation? Possibly. Yes, possibly <laughs> a, a, a very, you know, a, for a wonderful project called Modern Love. Um, I, I, which I, I, I'm doing storyboards for at the moment, I, which uh, poor Simon here still hasn't seen yet because I, I, I've been going over them and redoing it and, and just I'm not happy with them. Uh, but I, it's a wonderful little segment in the midst of all your um, your live action stuff. Um, I, I don't know how yeah. you're going to weave it in there, but I've got my faith in you. I really do. Uh, how the hell <laughs> it's going to be a film of many styles that one oh, one, one theme many styles yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah animation's always been a, a love of mine I, i'd love to do more storyboarding from within it because it's the cream of the crop i mean you, you really are 
when, when you're on an animation project, you, you are practically designing it as well, really. Um, with live action, things can change. Um, you don't know, when I, when I start doing the drawings, I don't know who the actors are going to be quite often. Um, so the, when, when I get an accusation from some dumbass who's just started out in film that says, well, the, the, the characters you've drawn look nothing like what's in the final movie. Well, that's because we hadn't cast yet, you fucking idiot. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, not, it's not the comic book adaption, is no, it? Come on. No, no. It, it's not done after it. It's done before <laughs> it. These are people who probably would never hire you as a storyboard artist because they don't know what the hell it is. Um, mm. But then they wonder why their movies are shit because they don't storyboard them. No. Yeah. I, I must admit though, you're 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 I'm looking at your um ones for unknown and uh it does look spookily like Liam Neeson actually. <laughs> well he he had been confirmed oh, at that okay. point, you, you knew know it was gonna be him. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I, I didn't know when I actually drew those, I didn't know I know we did have January Jones, I know that. Um that was the only other one that had been confirmed, but I didn't know we would get Diane Kruger. Otherwise, I would have drawn her a whole lot more prettier. But I, I thought she was fantastic, and even though we 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 sort of drabbed her down uh, for the part, I thought she actually looked more beautiful in it. Um, yeah. Whereas January Jones took the glamorous part. Um, not not saying anything bad about her; she's a very beautiful girl. But um, I, I remember like, when I found out that we had um, Frank Langella as the bad guy, I punched the air. I mean, he was he was fantastic, and I remember going to see that. Um, in, in my local cinema here and when he actually gets killed um, somebody punched the air that's what, a, <laughs> that's what a rotter he was in it you know he's, he, he it's really a great was. movie I really yeah. like it I saw it opening day when it came out and because uh, you know Liam Neeson action flick I'm there you know and yeah. uh, I just thought I like the pl- I know it was really high concept and whatever but I I really liked the plot, and um, mm. I just I just thought it was really good fun. I have to say, so yeah. <laughs> like, like I've said there in my notes, um, the, the the car chase in it originally wasn't in it. Where there was a beautiful bit in the the original script when it was called Unknown White Male, um, where it sets it up where because it's in Berlin, you think you're going to get this Bourne style car chase in it, and instead they crash. And they end up running away on foot through a, 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 a railway uh, station. Um, and, and I thought that that was great. What a, what a lovely little twist. You think you're going to get a car chase. And, and you get a, a, a Cold War kind of Odessa file chasing them uh, uh, through the, the, the shady streets of Berlin. And instead, we, we put in a, a, a car chase. Not get, don't get me wrong, a good car chase. But um, I, I really wish we'd left it as it was because it was, it made it a whole lot creepier, um, and yeah. a, a whole it, it, still keeping that sort of Cold War feel about it, even though it is post-wall Berlin that, that, that we're in. Because to all intents and purposes, when I actually went over there to work, the wall might as well still be there because the city is still very segregated, and, and along this invisible line where that wall used to be. They 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 kind of have the um, the poorer, more immigrant workers over in that area that used to be East Berlin, um, and it, it truly is. It's a city of contrasts. Um, uh, I, I really fell in love with Berlin over there because it's like Glasgow gone right. It's, it's really <laughs> as that place. Um, but you know, I'm glad you liked it. I mean, it looks great. 
Um, Liam Neeson's just fantastic, and Liam Neeson punching people is just, uh, you, you can't go wrong. You can't. No, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> cool. Well, I think that's a good place to sort of uh, finish it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Jason, uh, where can people find your work? Oh, it's all over the place. Just uh, just Google me. Kind of. there, there is jasonfinn.com. I spell my name with an E. Um, apparently it's Welsh Celtic, but I think my mother's lying. Um, but uh, <laughs> jasonfinn.com. Um, go on. Um, you'll actually find more updated stuff on my LinkedIn profile if you if you look for me on that. And criminally underused as a, as, as a social media place, LinkedIn. Um, also, the, the, uh, I, I host myself a free out, on Jason, Comic Art Fans for a long, long time. J-A-E-S-O-N. Could you just repeat that? Because Keith was talking over you. <laughs> it, I was it, not. J-A- <laughs> you were. No, I was not. What would this podcast be if we, if we weren't talking over each other, you know? Um, J-A-E-S-O-N, F-I-N-N. Um, that'll get you to uh, that, that. That'll you'll find me on um, you know on any Google searches and that. But if you go to Comic Art Fans, um, I, a good deal of stuff I put up there, um, and and some photographs of behind the scenes stuff from early uh, shorts that I did as well. In fact, I think the robots up there. Um, I, I, yeah, that's the main places to look for me. Also, I'm I'm on Jurgen's list, um, who showcases a lot of um, a lot of stories artists you'll see will simpson in there uh, dave alcock uh, and guys like that I, I, I urge you to go and look at that uh, gary erskine i think he's up there as well i uh, have a look at his stuff um the, the, it, it's uh it it's quite fascinating to look at it kind of thing it, you, you know it, it's like reading little comics um and it, there's all different kind of artists that have done uh, a storyboard um it, it's it, it, i'm thinking of bringing a book out uh, you know, that's been mentioned to me a few times. I think it's got legs. Mm. I think I could do it. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at your storyboards now on uh, LinkedIn, and there's there's a lot of great stuff. I mean, I like the way you've um, also had the storyboards with a comparison of what was actually shot. Oh, yeah, I did that in a couple of them, actually. Um, there's some PDFs mm. downloadable in there as well, um, uh, and they don't seem to have any limit on file sizes that you can put up there, and you can link to videos as well. Um, I'll eventually be putting up some of my animatics up there as well, so watch out oh, for that cool. in the future. So, uh, as soon as I make them look presentable rather than um, studio presentable, um, we, we, we can have a look at that. So, Brilliant. Yeah. So, Keith, where can we find your work? Yeah, if you go to YouTube and put in British Isles, spell E-Y-L-E-S, as in my last name, uh, there's some short films that I made uh, that you can look at there. And as always, you can find my work at independentrunnings.com. You can listen to this podcast on YouTube, uh, Mixcloud, Stitcher, and and YouTube. Um, You can follow us on Facebook, and on Twitter, just search Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. And uh, please leave us a, a rating and a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Do we have to shell anybody on this podcast, Stitcher or anything like that? Do we, do we have to sell our soul to anybody? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. Yeah, anybody, anybody that's listening to this, uh, you know, I doubt it if you're interested in looking after me unless you're uh, uh, wanting money off me. 
But um, <laughs> there, there's there's a whole year of podcasts of Mary Heaven, Mary Hell. At the very least, go and see the um, the, the the eighty miles an hour uh, uh, edition of it that that that, that reviews the uh, the Back to the Future trilogy because I did an illustration for it. And it was it was a bloody good podcast, you know. And the Aliens Day one is excellent as well, you know. It, it's even if you, I, I run podcasts in the background as I, as I'm uh, as I'm working, and um, this is one of the ones that I do it with. And if somebody else does that, you, you could do a whole lot worse than do this one. Um, so uh, yeah, bring it up. You know, That's very nice of you to say so, Jason. Very nice. Yeah, one of the better ones. It really is. <laughs> Maybe not up there with Gilbert God- Godfrey's amazing colossal podcast, but you know, you, you guys, you, you wear your hearts on your sleeve. You do it very well. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we have a we have a mission now yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be better than <laughs> this other podcast. Well, you, you do well, know that you after that, surely earned your guest spot, didn't you, on this one with a review? We like that. <laughs> very good. You know that Thank after you. this, I'm I'm, I'm going to end up doing. Um, I've seen things and stuff, man. I, we'll we'll completely forget what the hell it was we were talking about and um, and and make, <laughs> make jokes about and unsavory things. So, uh. <laughs> well, yes, uh, certainly, <laughs> certainly check out. Um, I've seen things and stuff, man. It's chaotic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. And um, yes, uh, you. Uh, and uh, join us again uh, for our next podcast on uh, Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. See ya. Yay. <laughs> 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 Thanks, guys.